This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. It's an increasingly common sight all across Victoria to see security guards standing out the front of shops, schools, libraries, council offices, even school bus stops. More and more public and private businesses are hiring security guards to try and improve safety. Just last week, we saw the introduction here in Melbourne of NSTs. That stands for Network Safety Team, and this is on Melbourne trams, which is fundamentally just an extra level of security guards. But does all this extra security make us feel safe? Is it just private policing? And does that create a whole new level of problems? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Wodonga, Bronwyn O'Shea. Bron, we're not making this up. There are more security guards. We are seeing more security guards pretty much everywhere. Definitely. And in surprising places too. I remember seeing one recently. I can't remember where they were, but I did a double take because I thought that's a weird place for a security guard. And I had a funny reaction to it too. I, I, it didn't necessarily make me feel safer. It made me think, oh, what's the threat? Mm. Why are they here? Um, and we know that the number of licensed security guards in Australia is at an all-time high. There are about 155,000 of them. And, you know, like you said, where they once were used by businesses and on private premises, we're now seeing them being used to patrol public spaces as well. And there was that story recently on mm. Four Corners about the Northern Territory example um, and First Nations people there and even security officers were referring to these new um, officers there as cheap police. And I wonder, is that where we are headed in Victoria too? And, and how do you feel about that? And then there's questions around if we've got all these extra security guards and they're there to protect people or property, that's something to be debated. This is conflict resolution. And what sort of training goes into place here? You know, how do you train someone and how much time is spent on training to deal with people who are either maybe in distress, who are drunk, who are drug affected, people who maybe don't speak English or are homeless or have a mental health issue. Just last week, James McMillan, who's the Chief Safety Officer of Yarrow Trams, spoke with Sammy Jay on ABC Radio Melbourne's breakfast program about the training that these new particular officers that they're implementing will receive. They've been given additional training, um, weeks of additional intensive training to give them the tools so they can respond to these types of incidents on the network. The additional type of training we give is a mix of classroom, real-world scenarios, virtual reality sessions, um, and also includes things like conflict resolution, and they can do dynamic risk assessments at the time. And importantly as well, they've been trained in mental health and first aid as well. That seems like a lot of training over just a couple of weeks. So how much training is enough? What sort of training should security guards get? Maybe you're a security guard yourself or you've been one in the past. And the big question is, do you actually feel safer when there's more security? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. I think deferring to private security or a private security model will be a flawed model in the long term. And I'm not sure it'll be well received by community. I suppose time will tell. But we saw criticism in the Northern Territory Territory only recently with government initiative there that put private security into public places. And we saw some of the terrible impacts that that had. 
Um, you know, I would hate to see that sort of replicated or those sorts of outcomes in a public transport setting in Victoria. So that's Wayne Gutt from the Police Association of Victoria speaking with Raphael Epstein last week as well. When we saw a third level of security guards that were brought into our public transport system. But Rochelle Hunt and Bronwyn O'Shea with you this morning as we look at it's not just on public transport, Bron. It seems to be across the board where more and more security guards are being hired from both public and private sector and whether or not that actually makes us feel safer and questions around whether we're moving towards a private policing scenario that you might see in America. Yeah, Dr Tony Zalewski is a security and safety risk consultant, director at Global Public Safety. Welcome, Tony. Hi, Bron. You've trained tens of thousands of security guards. How do we train security guards for these situations? It's, um, there's quite a bit of work that goes in behind the scenes, I suppose, of uh, developing a competency-based training course. The, the initial pre-licensing course for all security staff that operate around Australia, uh, even though they're um, state-based regulated, um, they, they complete this uh, nationally recognised training program at Certificate 2 level. And in Victoria, that's a 17-day course, so it's a mandatory course. It has... Um, a, a lot on risk management, uh, conflict management, communication skills, um, security and safety awareness, as well as all the legal bits and pieces that that, uh, that are applicable depending on where a person's working. For example, licensed premises to authorised offices to healthcare uh, providers in hospitals. So uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of work that goes in, in mm. setting this sort of system up, um, but it's a generic course. And then, of course, when, when a person's employed in a particular sector, such as an authorised officer, then they would be inducted by Yarra Trams, for example, in this particular case. Tony, you've worked in public safety for over 40 years. 17 of those years, you were a police officer. You were actually a, a detective sergeant. You have trained thousands and thousands, I think over 40,000 security guards in your time. Are you concerned about the number of people and places and businesses both public and private that are now hiring private security and do you feel like we're heading down a you know a private policing scenario that you might see overseas oh look i i think there's no doubt that we are heading down this private policing path um because you know the, the victoria police for example they're a public policing organization uh the private the private security effectively are performing a private policing function they're still out there maintaining i suppose you know the, the the safety of the community but they're more focused on a particular environment so for example if you had security working at a hospital they're engaged by the hospital for the interests of safety and security and asset protection at the hospital same at an airport same at say a courthouse for example so um when, when um i don't think there's any doubt that we're heading down the road of a private policing model, I think it's just terribly important that there's accountability for you know, guards and, and crowd controllers and others who are involved in security out there. So it's more about and, and, and it's more about employers being appropriately regulated. They have to be licensed in this state. It's more about those guards and crowd controllers who are working that also have to be appropriately regulated. But so what do you mean by them. accountability? Do you mean for the individual or for the, the company or business or firm that's hiring them? Uh, both, 
both. Uh, but what happens is there's a security firm that holds a master license and then there's an individual who holds an individual license. So, for example, you know, some of the biggest security companies out there, I think we all send an MSS, they, they have to hold a license themselves and then every individual that works for them, whether they're supervisors, uh, team leaders or base level operators um, who have been in the, in the craft for weeks, months or years, um, they all have to be licensed as well. So the accountability is not only through the security employer, it's also then through the regulator in Victoria, that's Victoria Police Licensing and Regulation Division. Tony, you said 17 days is all it takes to become a licensed security guard. Is that enough training? Is it the right kind of training, do you think, to deal with what we're now seeing? Oh, no. no it's, it's, um, it's a pre-licensing nationally recognised training course. Um, that, that's to give people a feeling of where they're going, uh, you know, the, the sector, the private sector they're moving into and what the requirements are. So, for example, they will do... You know, basic skills in, as I said before, conflict management, risk management, safety of people, uh, legal obligations, etc. Uh, but then from there, when, once they've completed that 17-day course, they're then expected to, they, they'll, they'll gain employment through a security uh, provider, uh, and I would expect that security provider then to uh, provide induction training, professional development training, good supervision, documented procedures um, that they align with so that you, you move away from the exercise of discretion by individuals that they you follow. S- you said you'd expect they receive that induction and ongoing training, but is there an obligation that they do? There, there's The regulator um, would expect them to do that because they don't get a security firm licence until they've satisfied the regulator that they have these processes in place. Right. Unfortunately, from time to time, these processes aren't fully followed, as we know. We see we see some of these these um, uh, breaches uh, played out in the media, but the realities are the system is a reasonably robust system. But of course, there is some requirement on employers to do the right thing. Dr. Tony Zawalski is with you, a security and safety risk consultant, director of global public safety, and has been in this industry and in this profession for a really long time. Tony, this is just one of the messages that's come through. It's from Anonymous, and it said, I actually worked for a major security company about 15 years ago. I was doing casual Christmas car park traffic management at a major shopping centre, then additional traffic work at another major shopping centre due to redevelopment. My training was half an hour and a video on safety. We were given a printed paper quiz and told to put our name on it and hand it back and they do the rest. The key couldn't be found for the equipment cupboard. No physical demonstration was done. I assume trainers filled out our tests and passed us. We were out working in the following days with minimal supervision. I hope things have improved since. When we look at where security guards are being deployed now, how much they're getting paid and who are taking up these positions, because there are just there's a record number of security guard positions at the moment. What needs to change, do you think, or does anything need to change? Oh, look, it's, uh, improvement is always a part of any, any professional development, I suppose, for any industry sector, including private security. But uh, I think one of the important things is this, this person's talking about 15 years ago. Uh, I must admit, I entered the industry in about 1990, so I'm a bit older than that. But in the same breath, uh, you know, the, the regulator has an investigative um, requirement as well. If there are complaints or assertions about corner cutting, poor training, poor competency standards, 
um, at the end of the day, you'd expect the regulator to intervene, and that, that is, I think, what the majority of the industry would want, you know, without without it becoming, um, you know, light-touch regulation, uh, but in the same breath, there should be some regulatory oversight for an industry that effectively um, can make decisions that affect people's uh, safety. Text here from Greg says the certificate to in security operations is recommended to take 349 hours of training. The problem is that it's only recommended. They can do fewer hours and a lot of that is often done online. The hours of training should be mandatory, says Greg. And I also wonder, Tony, whether or not we're going to fall down the line of exploitation of people that are taking up these jobs, if they're relatively easy to get, if there's not a lot of training, that the pay is not great. Are you are you concerned that maybe you'll have people from non-English speaking backgrounds that don't know their rights, don't understand their responsibilities and that we will see levels of worker exploitation here? Yeah, this has been, this has been a, um, an ongoing, I think since I entered the industry, it's been an ongoing discussion about exploitation of those who might be disadvantaged. Um, for example, at one stage there was a lot of federal funding across the industry for long-term unemployed to be uh, put through programs and, and hopefully gainfully employed. There were arguments about how successful that program was at, at the end of the day, but certainly exploitation is something that, that is, is a major concern. And it's interesting, the Labor Hire Authority in Victoria published recently the minimum charges that a security company should be charging a client to ensure that all their legislative and regulatory requirements payments were, were met in other words you know minimum wages uh, superannuation insurance etc um, so the industry is well and truly aware and hopefully that level of exploitation is um mm. is being uh, overcome this is a tricky question i guess to ask now because it almost feels like we, we can't ask a question like this or i'm going to ask it anyhow we saw with and there's been changes to Victorian police officers in terms of the height that you have to be, the age that you have to be, that we saw restrictions around that get loosened a little bit. I do see some security guards who are smaller than me and I'm, you know, five foot nothing, I'm, you know, way under 60 kilos and they're smaller than me and I often wonder... And they're put out in positions of, you know, of security and I often wonder... Wow, what would actually happen if something went down here? Is this is it safe for that young woman to be in that position? I mean, is there restrictions around weight, height, age, all the sorts of things? No, there's, there's none at all, uh, and, and neither should there be. Um, I suppose that the issue is you've got a trained person who's monitoring, say, a particular area. Um, and at the end of the day, you would hope they would have a, um, a number of strategies in place. And one would be communication. And when I say communication, to call for support if necessary. And, um, you know, the tactical options that are exercised by people, irrespective of size, weaponry, etc., uh, would be, um, you know, to observe and report. And uh, if something needs to be reported on, it doesn't. And that's an important part of security officer training is that, uh, you know, if they're working as part of a team, then how do they communicate across the team? If they're working individually, so they become an isolated worker, then what form of communication should they have, which is normally these days a portable radio? But in the same breath, you know, you wouldn't rely on a, a female guard who's isolated in the shopping centre to be using a mobile phone to call for assistance. I mean, that, that's, um, that's a disaster waiting to happen. So, so the point is, size doesn't really matter. It's more about the 
capability and the competence of a person to make good sound decisions based upon their training and their procedures that hopefully their employers put in place for them. Tony, there's just a, a quick question from a caller who rang in who works in the industry, but they, they didn't want to go to air because they don't want to identify themselves. But they did want us to ask you about the Security Trainers Association Certificate to course material, saying they can't get the Crimes Act correct. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, I have read some of those SPA materials in days gone by, and I think um, my, my recollection from memory, because actually um, I made some recommendations of some changes myself, but I, from memory it was, um, it, it's, it's a document that was produced for national uh, as opposed to state-based um, publication, and I think that was one of the problems that, that was raised. Um, I'm not sure what the, what the current position is. I think the STA materials now have been accepted by all the regulators and, and each domestic jurisdiction around Australia. So I think they're okay now. Um, hopefully they're okay then. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Dr Tony Zalewski, he's a security and safety risk consultant, director at Global Public Safety. As we talk about the growing numbers of private security guards and, you know, whether that actually makes us feel safer and whether they're receiving the training that they require. Is this something that you work in? Maybe you're a security guard yourself or as a business, as a small business, maybe you're thinking about hiring one. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Bronwyn O'Shea, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Wodonga. The number of security guards, you're not imagining it, it is increasing. There is a record number of security guards that are being planted out the front of everything from shops, libraries, schools, even bus stops. So does it make you feel safer? Lots of texts on this, Bron. This one, I'd feel much safer with extra personnel for safety. I'm a person who's living with a disability. It would help me gain access to the community more it's definitely a positive thing that's from kerry bit by bit everything that was good and fair about australia says this text is being dismantled by the neoliberals it's deliberate we don't need security just bring back our tram conductors in capital <laughs> letters there and rochelle you mentioned that you're you know a slight little thing and how successful is that you know when you're a security guard and you're not a big hefty bloke um this text says a very dear female friend of mine worked as a bouncer in uk pubs in her 20s she's just over five feet tall at the time weighed less than 50 kilo and there was never any trouble when she was on the door her influencing skills with all sorts of people is so sophisticated that potential troublemakers just left it's See, the first line the of thing, defense right <laughs> the word skill was used mm. there and it is a skill because this next level of security that we're going to in particular in public transport in melbourne is for conflict resolution it's to try and make the public either feel safe which is very different to actually being safe and that skill that it takes to defuse what is a heated moment and especially if the people that are involved maybe a drug and alcohol affected if you have some mental health issues at play at well if there is a fight going on it takes great skill and training to be able to diffuse that without some form of aggression or violence yourself and then you need to take into all sorts of things into consideration you need to look at people's background you need to look at whether or not English is a first language is there racial profiling that's happening as a part of this as well well. Anushka Geronimus is the legal director at West Justice Youth Law Program. And Anushka, security guards and the rising number of security on public transport in particular is something that West Justice is very passionate about. And I, I guess, first of all, highlight the issues that concern you. 
thanks, Michelle. I think in terms of the concerns, I guess our key one is why why are we seeing such an increase in the use of security guards? Uh, what are they actually um, trying to address or the people who are kind of making that decision to have security guards? Um, and is it actually increasing safety? Is it addressing a short-term need or a long-term need? And from experience, our concern is that they're filling gaps um, and we're not seeing investment in the people who are kind of properly placed to undertake some of those roles. I'm with, I'm with your last caller in terms of maybe looking at bringing back the tram conductors. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that they are some of the broad concerns that we have in terms of um, security guards filling gaps rather than actually um, having the workers who are the most um, well-placed to be able to fulfil a particular role in our case in terms of ensuring everybody in Victoria is able to kind of really travel well and and I think um, it's something for us as a community to really think about. So what scenarios, what, what examples have you heard about at West Justice that have concerned you in terms of the way sometimes that people in these positions of authority are interacting with, you know, vulnerable people on public transport? So um, West Justice ran a transport, um, we had a transport assistance program um, a couple of years ago and we evaluated that program. It was um, we were able to create the program as part of our school lawyer service that we delivered to schools in Melbourne's West. And um, through that school lawyer program, we identified a, um, that some kids weren't able to come to school because they couldn't afford to top up their Mikeys. And so they were staying home. And so then we worked with the schools and uh, the partners and, and the Department of Transport to be able to um, kind of um, develop a transport pass program to uh, provide financial assistance to kids who were in need. And as part of that evaluation, we actually heard from kids themselves um, who used those passes and they um, it was a success um, and now that program is statewide thanks to the state government, which is great. Um, but we did hear through that evaluation from young people that um, they did have experiences with with security guard or with um, um, officers who um, didn't treat them well, who did make them feel embarrassed when they were questioned about whether it was a valid pass and and in public. And um, in one case, the, somebody threw it in the bin and they were accused of lying. And so the the kind of overall impression from a lot of the, um, from people who were, from the young people who were able to, tell us, share those experiences, was that maybe um, the security guards or the transport officers mm. weren't well equipped in those situations to be able to understand what the program was. And I think that was one of the findings that um, more training of the of the officers was required about the purpose of the program, who was kind of eligible, how best to deal with, you know, kind of people who may be participating in the program as examples. And yeah. I think that idea of more training, because it is incredibly nuanced and you need to look at individuals and you need to have patience and all sorts of things as well. Anushka, can people access information on this report or this program at the moment if they're listening now and it's something, because we do know that cost of living is really pinching a lot of families at the moment and the last thing we want to hear is that young people 
are making that decision about whether or not they can go to school because they can't afford, you know, pu- uh, public transport on the day. Can people access this report or info around around this program? Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to get in touch with us at West Justice, just to, and we can share or make, and we can also share the link to the report um, with um, your show, Rochelle. Okay, great. Um, we can do that, and that can be part of the show notes potentially, and then also. Um, we can have our contact there as well so that we can put you in touch with the right person. Good on you. Anushka, as always, thank you. No worries. Thank Uh, you. Anushka Geronimus, she's the legal director of West Justice Youth Law Program. And the skill, I think that's what I keep coming back to, Bronwyn, when we look at security guard and just generally when we have this really loose label in society around unskilled work and when you start to peel it back, it's not unskilled at all. It takes great skill. The issue is there's not a lot of training, there's not a lot of pay, but the skill that it takes to be a very good security guard, I think, and this is what I would love to hear from either former or current security guards on this, one three hundred triple two seven seven four. what skill does it take? Because yeah. so often we see the bad examples. You'll see on the news, you know, a, a security guard or someone at some level of authority that's sitting on a you know a public transport user or someone that's been aggressive someone that's trying to diffuse uh, an aggressive situation with aggression which never helps so what is that skill what does it take i'd love to hear from a veteran security guard you know what works who are the best security guards what do they bring to the job and how do we make sure that you know people entering the industry because we know there's a huge demand for more security officers to fill these roles how do we make sure we get the very right people with those right nuanced skills in these jobs a text here says guards are woefully undertrained and another here from jen she writes i feel so anxious and less safe when security is in place around general shopping centers i feel like there must be a problem so i avoid these places and another says i work in a public library we have security it's made the space much less unwelcoming their aggressive conduct means that we have to de-escalate people in dire circumstances not to mention that some of them actually make me feel a little bit uncomfortable with the comments that they make as well. It was much better before they came in. And others saying for all the flaws, perhaps private security guards, which have outnumbered public police in Australia for decades, can be held to account much more readily than state-controlled police. They answer to shareholders. They're not apparently in disinter- in, they're not apparently disinterested in the public as well. So that side issue is that we need better public policing. <laughs> This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Michelle Hunty with you in Melbourne, your co-host this morning, Bronwyn O'Shea, joining you from ABC Wodonga. As we look at the increase in security guards in all aspects of our lives, in all aspects of public and private business, from libraries through to the shopping centre that you go to, is it just a simple bag check or are they being placed at schools and even at bus stops to try and help with antisocial behaviour? And does it actually make a difference? This message from Wendy, it says security on train stations actually helps me feel safe in the dark and the isolation of train stations. Except they start at 6pm and still peak out. They seem to knock off and go home at around 9.15, 9.30, which is exactly the time when we need them to be there till the end of the service each night. I agree wholeheartedly with Wendy that it makes you feel safer, especially because a lot of our train stations, and we've looked into this in other programs, they're not well designed. A lot of the underpasses, uh, once 
once it's dark, as a, a woman on your own, you don't want to walk under them. They're not well lit. So if you know that there are guards at a train station, and when we're talking dark, Bron, in the heart of winter, that's six o'clock. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know, that sense of vulnerability that you do get in some of these places, you know, of course, having that sense of extra security and protection is quite comforting. There's a text here that says many years ago, my brother was bodybuilding. He was huge, not super tall, but ripped. And he was bouncing at nightclubs as he went through uni. I laughed and questioned his duties as he would have had no idea about fighting if things kicked off. But he had no problem because he just talked people through any aggressive moment. So coming back again, again, Rochelle, to that point you make about, you know, it's the skill of conversation and diffusing a situation that seems to be such a critical part of what it takes to be a good security guard. Brian DeCaries is Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Security Industry Association Limited. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. We know that there's huge growth in this sector and, and you've got lots of uh, jobs that are currently unfilled. How many security, extra security officers are we needing in Australia at the moment? Across Australia, we're looking at about eight to 10,000 uh, positions that are vacant uh, for security personnel. And going back to your comment before, you know, it's probably the, in the last 30 odd years, there's been a quadrupling across the country in the number of uh, licensed security personnel. So now there's just under 160,000 uh, security licensed security personnel across Australia, um, and that's more than you know the police and military added up. Wow, why is there such an increase at the moment? Do you think is it, in your opinion, um, there's not enough police numbers? Are we feeling less safe? Are we wanting to be overprotected? Uh, I think there's been a, certainly a shift in the threat environment. So what we see is over time. Uh, different threats come up. So, as we would have, you would have noticed, uh, I think last month the Albanese government, you know, issued a funding for 50 million in grants to secure faith-based places through, again, funding security guards and security infrastructure such as cameras and and fencing. Uh, so, what we're seeing is different uh, threats. Um, we've now seen the post-COVID world where. There's lots of touring groups uh, performing at major concerts with 50,000 people requiring, you know, four, five, six hundred security officers on on shifts when those concerts are on. So we're seeing uh, demand growing across the whole sector. Uh, Aviation, there's more people traveling, more Mm. aviation screening. So it runs across all sectors of the economy as it starts to, to power up again. We've heard consistently so far in this conversation, Brian, that there probably needs to be some more nationally consistent approach to security guards and definitely a revisiting of, you know, the nature of the training. What's what's your perspective on that? Uh, I mean, we, we sound a bit like a, uh, a stuck record, but we've been advocating for 25 years for a nationally consistent approach to, you know, professional standards. So um, we believe the country has a consistently high standard of standard of uh, who can enter the industry uh, and also, you know, their roles and responsibilities have to be clear, you know, what, what they can and cannot do. Um, unfortunately, whilst everybody's in agreement, both, you know, at a state level and, and also at a federal level, there seems to be a bit of inertia to actually get it done. Uh, so that has been something that's uh, certainly very frustrating. It's taken so long because it is a fundamental part of Australia's national security mix. 
the private security, uh, not just in terms of the security personnel, but the electronic security, the physical security, mm. and increasingly the cyber security. So um, it is a significant part of every single sector of this economy. With eight to 10,000 jobs vacant at the moment, so that's the, the number of security guards that are needed right now, what's the industry doing to attract people to those roles and keep people in those roles for people to see being a security guard as a, as a really great career opportunity? Well, I think part of the challenge is, you know, there's a, a perception of security, which is uh, somewhat outdated of the person standing outside a, a pub or a club. Uh, that is a very small uh, sector of the industry. The, there are a range of different career pathways that people can actually follow into different roles within the industry in terms of uh, operational roles and management roles. But I think when you look at the licence numbers, less than 20% are female. Uh, so, again, the industry has to do a better job at at pitching uh, careers within the industry to female workers. There's flexible hours. There are a range of different environments from working in airports to shopping centres to you know, concierge roles in in buildings. So I think there is, certainly we're looking at different strategies to target a probably a more diverse workforce. So, you know, that male-dominated industry, which uh, it's very often perceived as, um, needs to needs to shift. Will it though? Do you think, Brian? I mean, I'm, I've noticed more women, but I, I'm just wondering whether or not it will shift, and whether or not that stereotype will change. Uh, it, it is starting to shift. It, it's certainly moving. The dial is moving uh, in the right direction. Um, but I think you know, roles even in the sectors like cybersecurity um, is to to see uh, people need to see people in those roles and see that it is an opportunity that they could possibly do. So. I think it will shift, maybe not as fast as everyone would like, but mm. um, it is it is moving in the in the right direction. I think it's important that in responding to security threats, you need a range of different skills, um, and that's why it's it's a it's important to get a mixture of people working in the industry with maturity, with different out you know different outlooks. And to quite often respond. the responsibility that they're given is so great. And it's almost like when we talk about is it outsourcing police, there's also questions around whether or not it's outsourcing responsibility. So there's a text here from Cheryl and it said security guards didn't work too well during COVID lockdowns. Greater training needed for them, perhaps actually more police and fewer security guards. And there was a lot of blame when we'd look at hotel quarantine and the security guards that worked there. But these security guards were just there doing a job. Some of them might have been contractors, rocked up to the particular firm for the day and then just told that they were going to work at a at a hotel and the huge amount of responsibility that at times are given to people that don't have a lot of training that haven't worked in the job for a long time it feels a little unbalanced well i think the the, the hotel quarantine situation was uh, i mean that many of them were placed in a you'd say a fairly invidious position if you look around the country uh, there were hotel quarantine programs with security in Tasmania, in Victoria, in South Australia, in WA, that all worked very well. So, um, you know, there was a, a very lengthy inquiry which uh, found a lot of different things of what happened in Victoria, but certainly the maybe the procurement process could have been uh, a lot more rigorous. Um, but, yeah, I think it's uh, uh, they did a job and it was a difficult job, but they were actually on the front line of uh, being exposed to COVID. So, I mean, uh, I think they some of them got a fairly tough rap. 
Well, that and also it was an incredibly tense and anxious, um, fearful time, wasn't it, all round? They were operating in, a, in an incredibly, um, well, I hate to use the word unprecedented, but it was, um, unprecedented time. There's a text here, Brian, that says, pay security properly. You get what you pay for. Training is a huge issue. Is that part of the challenge that people aren't prepared to pay what security is worth? I think that is a, when you look at security, particularly in the, what we call the protective services or where there's security personnel, uh, we have been calling for government and private sector procurers to look at whoever's providing the service to make sure they can demonstrate that they are paying their staff, you know, appropriately. Um, but there is a, uh, tends to be a, a race to the government, race to the bottom uh, mentality with some departments. Uh, and we think that is disappointing. But um, people need to be paid fairly. So uh, what does an average security guard get paid? So a so security officer, uh, you probably get, uh, I think the award's about 25 to $27 an hour. But it, again, it depends on what sort of shifts they are doing. If they're working night shifts, uh, it's obviously high. But you know, if they're working a, a, a full week, you're probably looking at the fifty dollars to $60,000 range for a, an entry-level role. Um, and are people who apply to be a security guard, are they screened or assessed, you know, in terms of, the, I don't know, where they're at mentally, psychologically, their, their people skills? Is that, is that taken, into, a, yeah, is that taken uh, into account uh, at all, Brian? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's what's called a fit and proper uh, test. So people have to demonstrate that they're fit and proper persons to work in the industry. That includes, obviously, criminal checks. There's mandatory disqualifying of uh, tests that they have to meet uh, and uh, demonstrate that they are a, you know, they're going to be a, a suitable person to work in the industry. So that, that is un- undertaken in Victoria by the uh, Victoria Police, those tests. Uh, and then they also have to complete um, a certificate two level in, uh, in security. So that covers four core units of competency, which covers things like they look, what they can legally do, um, how they protect themselves and others using defensive techniques, uh, communication skills, how to apply first aid. Um, and I think what's often overlooked is we tend to hear the uh, the bad uh, examples of where they, people don't do the right, the right thing and they should be fully accountable. But there are many, many security officers of the 36,000 in Victoria that go to work every day. Some save, have saved lives. Some protect people uh, from harm uh, in very challenging situations. Um, and they tend to be uh, overlooked the good stuff, but um, it, that comes with the territory, I know. But uh, you know, the majority of them are just trying to go home. They're trying to do a day's work and go back to their families. So um, you know, it's a, it's trying to get a balance between certainly the ones who, if they're found to have done the wrong thing, they, yep, they need to have the book, uh, the, you know, the law throw, things thrown at them because they're not doing the right thing. Brian, good to hear from you. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank Brian, you. Brian DeCarey says the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Security Industry Association. So what training is the right type of training? How long? And what do you need to be trained in? And when we look at something that's we classify an unskilled job, how much skill does it take to work in the field of security? This is the Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt with you and Melbourne Bromin O'Shea joining you from ABC Wodonga as we are seeing a record number of security guards being placed in all positions around our society from libraries through to schools, you name it. I was amazed to listen to and to speak with Brian Bron about not only the number that we've got at a record 
uh, amount, but the amount of positions that are there still to be filled. Here, talking about just the skill required, a text from Jane Rochelle that says, if security guards give a sense of aggression and create a sense of fear, this just sets up a scenario for failure. The important job is about relationships, listening, helping, problem solving, showing care and compassion. And when people are shown this kind of support, security roles are set up for success. It's a really great point, Jane. Thalia Anthony is a professor of law at the University of Technology in Sydney. Thalia, when we look at security guards, some call it cheap policing, private policing, where do you sit on this? What are some of the concerns that have, I guess, risen to the surface from your research? Yeah, um, I think there's been a lot of really interesting issues raised on this program, but one of these um, concerns that have been raised by people on the streets like First Nations people, homeless people, people who are mentally unwell and so people who are subject to disproportionate exposure to private security is simply their pervasive presence. They feel like they're constantly being surveilled, harassed. Um, So it's really, I guess, concerning that there is a targeting of particular vulnerable groups and perhaps on par with that there's not the requisite training on how to intervene with vulnerable groups what would you like to see included then if we're going to give people the right skills and the right training to be able to do their job the best they can what needs to change well i think training needs to be focused on how we engage with the community and not just how we deal with risks. So this risk approach tends to be a very punitive approach that is based on escalation rather than de-escalation and that's manifested in not only the use of force but also deaths at the hands of private security. We saw one for example um, in 2013 where Mr King was killed after private security um, sat on him. He died from positional asphyxia And what the coroner found in that case was that the private security simply weren't trained to deal with those types of instances. They they were insufficiently aware of, um, you know, strategies of therapeutic intervention when someone is having an episode. So there's clear um, gaps in training. And we know, for example, they are... Um, only receiving a very small proportion, not even 10% of the training that police get. And there's already complaints about the lack of police um, safety with the public. For example, um, last year in New South Wales, someone died at the hands of police um, who sprayed pepper spray on that person. And that's a weapon that was um, seen by uh, the, the the victim's family as not having proper training now in the northern territory we're giving private security these weapons so they also have pepper spray and they're not given the training Mm. so i think we've got to look at how does the community um feel safe with private security and and i think that means you know not having weapons but also where there's use of force there needs to be proper the sort of training we're talking about though i mean depending on the area profession industry that you work in let's say it's social work or or youth work or uh, even victoria police they can often be years 
of training to be able to have the skill to handle things like this. So I just don't know, unfortunately, whether or not everyone, given the number of security officers and security guards that we have currently, it's the highest number we've ever seen, and the number of vacancies that we have, whether or not we're going to to see that level of training. Is it about putting other people out in the community with security guards. So it might be uh, a youth worker or it might be uh, someone of a culturally and linguistically diverse background or maybe someone that has multiple languages, for example, someone that deals with drug and alcohol uh, or mental health issues. Is it about kind of working together as a community? Yeah, and that's exactly what homeless people we did research um, told us, that they want the support people there as well. I think you touch on a broader question you know we've now got over 60,000 working security officers in the in the country and it's growing and I think we need to ask as a society do we need that level of security given that we also have over 60,000 police officers Um, and so both of these I guess policing mechanisms have grown hand in hand and I think, you know, as a, as a social issue, do we want to put that money in just more punitive reactions or do we want to put that money towards more supportive mechanisms that will actually deal with some of these problems of homelessness, for example? Um, I mean, I think we just need to be clear that security is a very broad industry. It's everything from your bouncers to people watching CCTV to now in the Northern Territory and Queensland having people on the beat So people who are walking up and down the streets, moving people on, um, detaining people, uh, asking questions. So doing a lot of the policing roles. Do we want a society where we have more of that type of intervention or do we want a different type of Mm. intervention? Well, they're big questions, really. And I mean, that's so often on this program, we sort of come full circle back to, well, give community the resources, give those who are out there on the front line, give them the money and the funding and the recognition that they need because it's all about prevention. Dahlia, thanks so much for your time. Dahlia Anthony. Professor of Law at the University of Technology at Sydney. And I know, Bron, a little while ago we did a program on whether or not fines are a waste of time and where and how and why we fine people. And does it actually help, especially if you're finding the vulnerable and you're finding them because they didn't have enough money in the first place and then you're giving them, a, you know, another big financial fine and whether you just create this snowball effect. You can go back and have, an, have a listen to that because the Conversation Hour is a podcast. You can go to the ABC listen up, subscribe and, and download and you can go back through that. But so often, as I just said, Bron, it comes back to all of that prevention that could be put into society. The role, and we were talking about this yesterday, you know, it comes back to, well, do we really understand and value social workers, for example? You know, do we look at all of those middle people that are out there doing the work? But, it, you know, we, we have a lot of security guards out there and that number's just increasing. Exactly. There's a text here from Peter at Blackburn South. Morning all housing for the homeless, etc. isn't being provided due to the government wasting huge sums on PSOs standing bored out of their brains at what were already very safe eastern suburban stations. Ditch the middle class welfare, says Peter. And another text here from someone who says they train security guards across Vic, SA and Tasmania. Uh, Your experts know the training is inadequate, yet no one is seriously addressing the issue, says that text. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.